0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today, we have an episode that promises to be about as thrilling and as enlightening as you can get. We're diving into the world of extreme adventures, unique cultures, and the very human emotion of fear. If you ever felt like you were living too ordinary of a life or one that was too safe, well, then today's conversation will open your mind to what's actually possible. My guest today is Mike Corey. He's a biology graduate turned travel host who personifies the saying, adventure may hurt you, but monotony will kill you. From an early age, growing up in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Mike had an insatiable curiosity that sent him chasing after different cultures, creatures, and experiences that would make most people shudder. He has a burning curiosity and has catapulted him into YouTube stardom with over 2 million subscribers on his channel, Fearless and Fire. And if that's not enough, Mike has also received two Emmy nominations for his television program, Uncharted Adventure, and an Emmy nomination for his riveting podcast, Against the Odds. In today's conversation, we're gonna talk about much more than just adventure. We'll dive into the concept of fear, how addressing and embracing it can unlock our potential, transform our lives, and even improve our health. Mike Corey isn't just an adventurer. He's a man on a mission to push people to break free from their comfort zones and bad habits. So fasten your seatbelts. Let's get to our chat with Mike Corey. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Mike. Maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you're doing these days.
1: Yeah. So from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, That's the, the main of, of uh, basically Canada. <laughs> that's what I always say to people when they're like, oh, where's New Brunswick? Um, Yeah, so I grew up there, was a curious kid, spent a lot of time in the woods, collecting bugs, picking up snakes, and then did a biology degree at UMB uh, in Fredericton, uh, did a BSc there, so of science and biology. And then from there, got into travel and then beginning to see all these animal celebrities that I had studied my whole life, giraffe and stingray and whatever. And then from there, got quite a travel bug and... Graduated from UMB in 2007, and then now I have a TV show in the United States called Uncharted Adventure with two Emmy nominations. We're just about to probably maybe tentatively start season three, and then also a YouTube channel with two million subscribers, uh, a podcast myself where I tell true survival stories, and a whole bunch of things going on. I know it's it's an amazing rabbit hole to go down. Getting ready for this interview, I looked at a
0: lot of your stuff, and that's really what I want to tap into today. But one of the things I think that's really interesting about you was that there was an aspect of fear when it comes to public speaking and being the public eye. And then you've gone from that into the sort of evolution of being into
1: media. How did that occur? Was that like a slow evolution or was it something just sort of happened to you? Well, it's kind of like my hero story in a sense because the brand is called Fearless and Far. It's my online alias. And the people think that it's because I am fearless and I do all this crazy stuff. And Ultimately, it's the opposite. I I always say I was born more fearful than most people. And my journey through fear has been the ultimate journey that's allowed me to have this incredible life that I love very much. And uh, it was only by being guided through fear and treating fear as a compass, I was able to be able to get to where I am today. So public speaking and being in in the center of the spotlight was the last thing I wanted to be for most of my life. But hell, like anything, uh, surprise, surprise, if you work really hard and learn the skill sets, take the classes, you know, do it anyway, you can become better at these things than people who were born with with the talent. And I was definitely not. I was born the opposite, you know. And then also I also had some things happen in school that threw me down this rabbit hole of, of having panic attacks whenever I thought I'd be in the public eye. And uh, that's pretty much all behind me now. But ultimately, with fear, you never really get over it. I think we, we associate fearlessness as a lack of fear, but it's it's the opposite. It's the acknowledgement of the fear, realizing it'll always be a companion by your side and not being turned around by it using it as a guiding light opposed to a brick wall in your life. And that's that's what I preach. And the vessel in which I've chosen to do that is adventure travel. That's right. Well, I used to hear the term chronic
0: uneasiness. And uh, sometimes yeah. that's good. It keeps you safe, but it also allows you to do things without being completely afraid of the outcome. And I was looking back at some of your stuff and you know, going way back in the archives, one of your first trips was to Indonesia. And that was kind of a newer experience for you at that time. Can you give us a little bit of a
1: rundown of what you went through when you went on that first trip? yeah i i left my university career a little bit confused i knew i loved the earth the planet how it all worked but felt like i needed to get my hands dirty and didn't feel like a classroom or a lab was the way to do that so before i made any big decisions i wanted to go see the world right Uh, i mean I, i grew up obsessed with wanting to see coral reefs and the peaks of the andes and all these different environments and all these different animals and that was my goal. So the first big trip was a research assistant position in Hoga, which is an island in the Wakatobi Island chain off of Sulawesi, Indonesia. That's like the big island in the middle. It looks like a llama and no one really ever goes there. This is an island that I returned to about 10 years later because they have the, 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 the walking dead practices where they take bodies out of graves a decade after they die and walk them around and have a family reunion with, with grandpa's bones. Also, when people die there, they become sick and they keep them in the houses as a dead body. They call it sick for up to five years as they save for the funerals. So anyway, the reason why I'm telling you this is there's a long story there, but basically it's it's the final frontier of travel. And I'm on an island, off an island, off an island of that. And there was no mirrors, no power. I was there for two months and just it changed how I saw the world. Because what it made me realize is we're born where we're born. That is, it's luck. You can't control that, right? There's lots of things in this world that people can call luck, like your success, but ultimately where you're born determines a lot of whether you're successful or not, let's say globally. So being born in a place, you're given a set of circumstances. You're also given given a lens in which to see the world. It's religion. It's how you're brought up. It's school. It's pop culture. All of this makes you see the world a certain way. But for many people, we get blurry. Like we don't quite see where we are. And that's because the lens doesn't quite fit. And I, I realized on that trip that you can break that lens through travel. And you can pick up different pieces of different views, different attitudes, different practices to then form your new lens in, in which to see the world. And so when I was younger, I didn't quite see my my place in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. Mm-hmm. But through a decade and a half of travel, I've been able to pick up fragments to create my own lens. Now I see where I where I am in this world, my use in this world, you know, my place. And it was only through travel and that first big trip, again with no mirrors, no cell phones even you know no no running water no no power that i was finally able to break free of the tendrils the tentacles of all of the sed- seductive things in our world today to see a clearer picture on, on what i had to do
0: well i think that's important i think that's one of the things that you help people with now is overcoming their fears and i think that quite often was to fear the unknown. You said yourself, it could come from a very sheltered place where a lot of things are very different. I just got back from a trip around the world where I was in India and I was in Bhutan and some places that are not frequently traveled. And it can be a little bit alarming when you go to a completely new society. Like You say you've been traveling for over a decade. Was this? How did this process sort of evolve? Did Did you automatically migrate towards it or did you sort of become more and more accustomed to accepting what you were seeing
1: and picking up more and more as you went along? I've always been very curious and I've always been, I've always liked asking questions and that's gotten me in a lot of trouble over, over the years. And I realized something just recently that one of the first times I still have a vivid memory uh, of this moment. And it was when I was in grade two or it was, I was very young, but basically I always loved the things that were misunderstood. Like for example. I said, I was a curious kid. I'd like to go find snakes and salamanders in the, in the forest in Canada. So it's not like they're dangerous. Yeah. And the one thing I remember is people always saying snakes were poisonous and slimy, neither of which are true. There, some could be venomous and none are really slimy uh, at all. And after holding snakes and learning about snakes, I realized that this was wrong. And so already there was, and also spiders, yeah, dangerous and, and I was seeing these things and realized there was a, a mismatch with what I was being told. My family was pretty cool with this stuff. They didn't really dissuade me from from uh, picking up creatures and collecting creatures, but like the society did mm-hmm. and the the kids on the schoolyard did, right? And the neighborhood too. So there was a mismatch of information like, what? I'm, I'm experiencing this, but you're all telling me it's this, but it doesn't, like what, why, what's happening here? Are we, and so from there, I remember asking one of my teachers, grade two, grade one or something. I said, "What happens if you eat a snake?" And she said, "Oh, you, you'll die. Like they're they're poisonous." And I was like, "Oh, like I mean that makes sense. Like some snakes, yeah, they they're venomous." And and then fast forward to as an example, like full circle, like uh, last year I got attacked by a green mamba in Congo oh, wow. with, some, with some pygmy hunter gatherers. And it came right out of the river. We were walking through the river. We were hunting, looking for whatever squirrels or mice or whatever we could find. And this two meter long green mamba bum rushes us out of this hole it had in the side of the river. These guys, they push me out of the way. They whack it with the machete. It just dong, hits it on the side of the head. It it runs away and they chase it and they cut it up into 10 pieces. And then we ate it. And <laughs> it was, I can't okay. say it was delicious. I can't say it was delicious. <laughs> But it's not, yeah. it's not poisonous. And also yeah. that that puts a very, very thick line understanding the difference between poisonous and venomous because poisonous is if you eat it, then you die. Venomous is if it tries to eat you, you die. And so snakes aren't <laughs> aren't poisonous. You can eat a snake, but it can't try to eat you because money will kill you, especially a green mamba. Yeah. And anyway, yeah. full circle is these things that like, and my and my teacher said, you'll die because they're poisonous. That's not true, right? Like where does she get that information? right it's obviously because no one eats snake no one has to eat snake in canada but it's just there's a lot of misinformation out there and some even disinformation and i became quite obsessed with finding out for myself how the world works yeah that was my fuel i would hear about these things like i mentioned the uh the walking dead the the death tribes of indonesia in toraya i thought that was crazy and most of these videos that i do It starts from me hearing something is crazy. What do you mean they keep dead bodies in the house for five years? What do you mean they have a family reunion where you haul all of your dead relatives' bones out of the ground and hang out? You know, sounds insane. What do you mean body suspension when you, when you hang by hooks from your back? You're telling me it's the best thing you've ever done. That sounds insane. It all starts with this idea of the world says one thing's terrible and horrible. Someone else who has firsthand experience says. It's awesome. And then I, that's where my, my skin starts to tingle. that's, that's the interesting line there. What makes some people love something and hate something? So there's lots of these, these things that, uh, really pique my curiosity. And in the world, if you're looking at all the the cultures, the foods, all of this, it gets very fascinating. Like, where do we get our beliefs from? You know, are they right? Are they wrong? Who's to say what's right and wrong? It's just the lens we're given. Right? So I got extremely fascinated with finding the things that were shocking. I I love that stuff, man. When I get to change my own belief and other people's belief. First of all, how
0: many places have you been in the world? And then secondly, how do you find these
1: things? Like, like, I mean, some of the topics I've seen are just absolutely wild. (laughs) Yeah. It's always a bit of a scavenger hunt, but ultimately I've always been the kind of guy looking where other people don't look, whether it be underneath the rocks of a forest or diving into the strange cultures I my radar is always operating when I hear I see a photo or a video I always try to track it down and find out where it is and if it's still true and this the the big shame these days is we speak a lot about endangered creatures but endangered cultures is a massive problem and they're just disappearing left right and center as the world globalizes as we all want iPhones and blue jeans as the forests get cut down as people move to the cities because they just want to yeah like live a rich life what grandpa does isn't cool you know so all these these people who have lip piercings or bend their foreheads with stones and all these like strange practices even like face painting it's all it's all going away very fast and you can see something that looks fascinating but it was a photo from 20 years ago and 20 years ago before the age of the internet is is uh, might as well be a century man like the world's changing so fast now that we're all connected and that we can all see how you're supposed to live and be rich and have cars or whatever. So yeah. but it doesn't matter if you're born in New York or Fredericton or Mogadishu or the rural landscape outside of Tanzania, you see what success means and then you want that. So you go to the city and you ditch your traditional lifestyle, you know? Mm-hmm. I,
0: I, exact example, not as extreme as some of those for sure, but I was at a Buddhist monastery uh, and I was sitting there for like an hour and a half and those beautiful scene. It was like Nat Geo, sun coming in through the glass, the red robes, the golden altars and everything. And they were sitting there chanting. We got to sit right with them for like an hour and a half. And it was amazing. One of the most mm-hmm. beautiful things I've ever seen. Got outside, went for a rock, walk around the Zong and everybody's on their iPhone. And I'm friends with like four of them on Facebook. It's like, it was a very strange thing to think that no culture is untouched. Even one, you know, you think wouldn't be. And so I guess, you know, when I think about your passport and I don't know how you can fit it into a passport,
1: you must have to get a thicker one. How many countries have you been to around the world? Yeah, I've been to about 70. um, but Yeah, 70, 75. I find myself going for three weeks. Like, for example, I just got back from from Ethiopia and Angola and I spent about a week and a half in each country. And so that's even quite a fast trip for me. Generally, I like to spend two to three weeks because, again, how do you find the cool stuff? You can't just Google coolest things no one's heard of in Ethiopia, you know, it, it, it exists already. How do you find the content that no one's ever made content about? And that is to, you know, keep perk up your ears when you get to a country, ask questions, look around, find interesting things. And so having some free space is always really important. And that was something I picked up from backpacking. Like I was a backpacker for six, seven years before I picked up a camera. So from there, I was able to. love travel first, then pick up a camera. The other way around, I think you kind of break yourself to always be obsessed with content, but for me, it was adventure first, connecting the dots, realizing that serendipity is one of the most important parts of travel, and then eventually grabbing a camera. But I have that foundation of like bare bones backpacking that allowed me to be happy when, you know, you're up all night and you don't eat or you get diarrhea or whatever the, the challenge is, there's always a bunch. Well, I've seen you eat some different foods, so I'm sure you've definitely had some
0: gastro over the years. <laughs> yeah. But when I look at, I look at the scale of like, like what scares people, it goes everything from like being anxious or, or you're having trepidation around something to absolute like terror. Okay, mm-hmm. what was the scariest thing you've ever encountered in anything you've done? Or is there one thing?
1: I mean, if you were going to look at face value, you would probably say the recent experience about two years ago in Turkey. So the story basically, as I have this solo camping Mm -hmm. addiction where I just love pitching a tent in epic places mostly. And castles are the best, especially coming from Canada where there's not really castles around, but over there in Eastern Turkey, in uh, Romania, like uh, in Europe, there's just castles. There's so many castles. Some don't even have names. You know what I mean? They're just ruins. There's too many to take care of. And so I found a really remote one in Turkey called Satan's castle because they believe a devil lived inside and it was the most perfect medieval castle with like the murder holes and the towers. And there was a nice spot for a tent. And normally I'd always go with a local guide and my local guide was unavailable. So I rented a car and decided to do it on my own. Anyway, um. Got there. It was incredible. Like walking through, exploring a castle all to yourself, right? It was, it was like being back in, in ancient times, set up the tent and made a little torch, like a, a fire torch. And I was walking around. I had lost my flashlight. I was looking for that thought I was going to get some, uh, Instagram shots for that kind of stuff. And then I heard gunshots and these people had come and were shooting at me and screaming at me from across the gorge. Like there was a, like one little narrow pathway shooting guns, screaming. They shot eight times. I ran up the cliff. They came and stormed the castle. I was able to to get out. And then I was stuck there and I had like one bar of service and I called my friend. I'm like, dude, there's people here to get me. He like, oh my God, they're terrorists. They're there to kidnap you and steal your stuff. Are you, are you hidden? I said yes. And I was stuck there and they're peering through the bushes I'm hiding in with flashlights with their guns. And I thought I was screwed, man. Um, and then what happened is that I get a, a message from my contact uh, like half an hour later saying, all right, the police are there. They're going to help you. It's like, oh, thank God. And he's like, yeah, they arrived like uh, half an hour ago. And I was like, that's kind of like when I called and I'm like, all right, that's all right, okay, well, I can't see them. I can see the path, but they're not here yet. And then he's like, no, they're there. They, they just called, they called me. Um, so what happened is the, the locals saw some random guy with, with equipment drove tripods and drone and thought I was a treasure hunter. And they called the military police to come catch the treasure hunter. And there was a miscommunication and they like, but they had shot me. They had stormed the castle. They were screaming. It was a full on assault. And, um, <laughs> that, that was scary for sure because I was being hunted and that, and I had a taste of what it would have been like. Like, I didn't know they were going to kill me. I thought it was probably a misunderstanding but I had a pretty good taste of what it's like to be hunted with people with guns and all you're doing is running. And that was a very scary feeling, right? I
0: I did not see that one. I saw one where you camped in a cave in Turkey, but uh, not that one. Okay, so yes, I definitely did not see that. That could definitely be up there with most terrifying things somebody could experience. Wow, that's, uh, that's a different one for sure. So you've been to places that people haven't heard of, but what's the place that probably no one's heard of that you've been to that's probably like the most unknown of all the spots?
1: Well, I just got back from Angola, right? That's probably right. up there. Mauritania was a place that I went a couple of years ago, which is just below Morocco. That's considered to be quite problematic at times. Mauritania is a very rough place uh, where there's zero tourist infrastructure. And the number one thing to do is ride pseudo illegally on the back of an iron ore train as it goes to and from the mine to the coast. Can <laughs> 20. Okay, it's like 12 hours or 14 hours laying on magnetic metal powder. Um, trying not to breathe it in as you're being assaulted by the wind, the the sun, the everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's,
0: it's, it's, uh, probably not on TripAdvisor on that one. <laughs> okay, so what's something that uh, that scared you, didn't think it was going to scare you? Like, I think about, like, for example, I see some of your stuff. It's, some of the foods would get me. Like, I, like, you know, I've had some weird foods, but, like, not some of the stuff you've had. What are the things that kind of surprisingly are scary for you? Because I had
1: this childhood phobia of being the center of attention, let's call it. Mm-hmm. I don't think if it's, if it's that or if it's uh, heights or if it's pick something, confrontation, that you, you if you have that dented into your DNA, then it will always be there. We are pieces of paper, man. And you crease a piece of paper and if you open it back up, you can't unfold the paper. The mark will always be there, right? And the second you accept that and realize that, hey, a crease in my paper gives a character, just like leather, just like the patina on a penny, you know, like these things that we we value the damage because it shows a life well lived, right? Like this, it's a very common thing uh, in this world today that when you wear something more, it, it can have more value. Humans are exactly the same way. And we get too wrapped up in this idea of getting rid of our fear when ultimately it's just being comfortable that it will appear and try to help you because all like your your brain, all it tries to do, your anxiety, whatever you want to call it, is just trying to keep you safe. It has good intentions. It doesn't always know what it's talking about. It will overreact and you have to flex the muscle and, and when it does pop up and say, oh, actually, this is really scary right now, you say, I know, I see you. I got this, thank you, but I got this, then you can change your relationship with the feeling of fear or anxiety or choose your, your word for it. But ultimately I will never be rid of that little twinkle in my heart whenever the, the attention goes on me, but I just know that I put the time in, put the reps in to be able to crush it most of the time. It's it's just understanding the scenario. It's like, like anything, man. If you never practice whatever skill it is, uh, it's going to be scary forever. But the second you start understanding the arena in which you're playing in, whether it be public speaking, so there you can learn some techniques. You can write out your speech you can tell stories. You can watch Ted talks. There's workshops. There's lots of things you can do to understand how to play the game better. And when you step up on that plate, yeah, it'll still be a little bit scary, but especially if you do something like visualizations. You can step up on that plate for the first time, and, and really, ultimately, it feels like the tenth time or fifteenth time. There's so many techniques you can employ, and that's really what it is. It's just putting in the reps so that when you show up there, and fear shows up too, it'll always be there. You're like, cool, it's a party. It's always a party. Welcome. You know, let's let's crush this thing.
0: Oh, I feel like sometimes our fears can sometimes allow us to be better at things because we're cognizant we need to work on them. You know, when we're oblivious to things, we don't necessarily try and make ourselves better. I think about the word courage. Do you have to have fear in order to have courage? Like courage wouldn't exist without being afraid
1: of something, would it? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when it comes to that, did you find that when it came to travel or the things that you do and even being on TV and, and being involved in media, you know, like that's nerve wracking to see yourself up there and try and entertain people for a long period of time. Did that courage build over time from, from your experiences
1: or was it more of a response from people saying you're doing a good job? I have a new answer to that because I could say, oh, practice and experience. And that is true. But ultimately what I had to do is change my self-image because that is the thing that controls everything in your life. And if you don't see yourself as a public speaker or a businessman or a creative or a bike rider, whatever, then you will always fight yourself to do that. So in the beginning, it was torture to make videos talking about myself. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm here because I I was entering these competitions and I remember doing like 45 takes of just, and this stumbling and it was a mess. And I've realized now what it really is when you're beginning to do something is that your self image is not consistent with your current actions. So I was trying to do something that was inconsistent of my self image. I did not see myself as a YouTuber, a content creator, a speaker someone outgoing and yet I was faking it and there is a definite value fake it till you make it that that is my career honestly (laughs) however if I was going to go back and change one thing I would have spent less time physically practicing and more time mentally visualizing who I wanted to become because I, I think I was stuttering so much not because I couldn't speak like I we can speak it was some more that I was doing an action that just was glitching out my entire self-image, this is not you, you know, you were that shy kid, it, like I made fun of him in school for trying to stand out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now what, what I've been working on a lot the past couple of years is changing who I see myself as and what I see myself being able to do. And that always changes. And you can do that again by visualizing it, by writing it, or just by blunt force, br- brutally bashing against that wall over and over and over and over for years. And then, yeah, your world will stretch bigger and bigger. And I, I took that approach. But now I've realized there's a much more graceful way to get better at something and is to picture yourself being a total winner at it and then adjusting that reference point of who you are in relation to it. Because if there's going to be an imbalance, there's going to be procrastination, there's going to be stuttering, there's going to be hardship because you're you're fighting a, a very almost physical barrier in your life because you'll never rise beyond your self-image, you know? Well,
0: you you must have people that come to you all the time asking how do they actually get to where they want to be? What's the advice that you give to people that are being held back by fears that are really paralyzing them from doing things that would make them really happy in life? Because I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have. We're just
1: afraid to take these chances in life. Well, we're never taught how to deal with these feelings. And they're so human. They're as, as human as breathing, man. We all feel fear. It doesn't matter if it's me or you or... Miley Cyrus on stage, you know, if you do something that's on the fringe of your comfort zone, which you have to do in order to grow and become anything, it's going to be a little scary. But depending on what happened in your life, that response, I think what happens is people learn to fear that response. So you, you feel the fear and you're like, I'm so afraid right now. And it compounds and it's like a burning tire rolling down, down a road and you just can't stop it. And so therefore you just get wound up and, and blow yourself out or something. And like anything, whether it be swimming lessons, learning how to swim and and going into a pool, you just have to know how it all works. You have to know the arena. So again, challenging a fear on a grand scheme of things, let's say a very broad spectrum, it's just about understanding how it all works. And often a fear is just, yeah, your body's response, your mind's response to protect you from something. Understanding why that exists is very important and it doesn't matter the, the the scale at which this trauma happens, you still get creased, you know what I mean? But unless you realize what happened and why you are a certain way you are, you think you're some special fear snowflake and something's broken inside of you and we all try to hide our fears like some secret, when the reality is we all feel fear. Yeah, there's different flavors of it, but ultimately we're all being controlled by fear all of the time, right? And you understand that, and then maybe you understand that fear and excitement are very biologically similar as far as like the hormonal reactions in your body. And it's really just a fixation on the outcome. So fear is more a fixation on a negative outcome, and excitement's more fixated on a positive outcome. But the hormones and the physiology is very similar, eerily similar, actually. And so you can even convince yourself to say, oh, I'm so excited right now, when you're <laughs> terrified... And your body's like, wait, hold on. Uh, And it starts to short circuit a little bit too. So there's these little tactics you can, you can put into effect that helps you deal with fear on a wider spectrum. But again, that's by understanding, by learning, right? You have to know these things. And then from there, you can employ tactics to be able to handle it better. Right. And that's, that's what what I've done as well. So, I mean, there's your specific things, whether it be swimming or heights or whatever, but then there's a broad spectrum understanding about fear that really helps you understand the enemy. And again, if, if there's no more surprises left up their sleeve, and you know all the secrets, then you can do amazing things, you know? Well, I wonder, you know, when you do your show,
0: is that one of the reasons that you do do this? Is it to show people what can be accomplished if you are able to conquer your fears? Is this a, an opportunity for you to be able to teach people
1: by doing things yourselves and let them follow your example in ways? Of course, I, I think I am the ultimate example of how fear is a compass, And I, I, the thing is you can't, fear is such a private experience. I can talk all day long about how I felt a certain way, but ultimately no one knows. And they just see the final result. They see me who I have a successful career as a presenter and YouTuber and a lot of things. And they assume that, that how they feel is different. Um, but again, it's like watching Michael Jordan dunk when you're just starting. Not that I'm the Michael Jordan of travel, not yet. Someday uh, soon, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but ultimately, it's like you don't you don't have an understanding of how of the work it took to get there, just the final result, and how could he or her have possibly felt this way and gone this far? It's just a very private experience. So when I stepped on that like twelve person TV set for the first time a couple of years ago, I felt perfectly at home, and I was a bit nervous about. It beforehand, but I think because I had spent so much time and I knew what I wanted to speak about, and I knew I loved the world, and this was a bigger platform to share, and that I had envisioned myself being in that scenario a lot, and that's what I wanted to do when I was using the power of visualization, then I stepped there and it's like I had been there already for years, you know? And so that was a very powerful moment for me to see it all come full circle because I really do practice what I preach. Anything that is terrifying that I know isn't going to kill me, that isn't recklessly dangerous, I do like Mm -hmm. skydiving, body suspension, free diving is actually pretty terrifying too. Sometimes there's lots, I've put myself through the paces, man. And with that, I have confidence that I can help people. And so with that, you, you have a purpose bigger than yourself and then trying to just be cool on the internet, then you get a bit impervious to uh, some of the bullshit, right?
0: Okay. So that brings us down to the bigger meaning of everything. Is it even more rewarding for you to find what you were meant to do, to be completely passionate about something that is a perfect fit for you, but also it's a byproduct of you overcoming a huge challenge in life. And that's being afraid of things like, you know, to be able to conquer something and then have an amazing reward at the end. Is that
1: even more fulfilling? I think the confidence came from knowing that I have done the work. So for me, my channel really blew up a couple of years ago and also the TV show blew up around the same time. So multiple things went pop, 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 but that was after eight years of really actually doing the things that challenged me most Mm -hmm. and really diving into myself and really putting myself on the edge. And so. With all of that, I can speak from deep experience what it's like and really help people, and then at the same time, by spending so much so much time traveling and having a degree in biology and really being enthusiastic of how the world works, I can explain how the world works. Like I can explain on television or on YouTube or just hanging out with friends, why the tides move the way they do, You know why the grass is green and why dunes make these undulating waves, all these different things I understand, but also that as a bigger picture allows me to not fear the world so much. We, we live in this thing and all we see is like quicksand, you know, or like a typhoon and all these things that are not even worth worrying about, but we don't understand how the world works or even how that, why there's clouds in the sky or like, you know, we don't understand any of that. And therefore we think the world is a big dangerous place, but the over and over again, like in 15 years of traveling, I have one good snake story. You know, probably adding all the months together, 10 months, 12 months in like Jungles, yeah, and I only have one snake story. Well, you talk about your YouTube channel, which I highly recommend people check
0: out for sure. One of your videos is the six things that you know you've learned about fear. The top things, like when I'm thinking about people taking something away from our chat outside of amazing stories, would be what are some things that you would give people for advice on how they can tackle their fears in day to day life.
1: Yeah, we've mentioned a few already, and I'll recap them, is that realizing that fear and excitement are basically the same response in your body. A few differences, but basically one's a f- focus on a positive outcome and one's focus on a negative outcome. That's fear and excitement. And one trick that I've used so many times when my mind tries to play some sneaky jujitsu on me and convince me that I'm afraid is I always say, why can't everything go completely according to plan? Because often we worry about everything falling to pieces. Oh, what if this happens? Like for me, I was doing my skydiving lessons and I had a bad jump. And then I, all of a sudden I thought all, all these things that can go wrong, I was basically fantasizing about all of the terrible ways I could get hurt or that I could fail or whatever. And then I, I realized like, well, if I'm going to spend all this energy and time focusing on what could go wrong when nothing's really ever gone wrong and I get to choose this, this strange form of torture, why don't I just choose to invent a a future that's empowering and much more likely, you know what I mean? And so instead of worrying about how everything can go wrong, like obsess about how everything's going to go right, which is statistically much more possible anyway, and definitely if you think about what's going to go right. And so that employment, if if you're worrying about if you're going to fail at something or embarrass yourself, it's like, well, if you're going to invent a fictional future anyway, invent one that could probably happen. If you just think about it more, like you doing the best presentation ever, or you succeeding beyond your your wildest dreams and leading to everything you ever wanted. Again, if you're going to make something up, make something up that's goddamn empowering, not not demoralizing, right? And I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing. And I always have to check myself. And again, that's, again, changing your idea behind this feeling that you have, right? Yeah. Why can't you say, oh no, I'm actually excited because this could lead to everything I ever wanted and then some, some short circuiting happens in your brain. Yeah. And, uh, also I would say one thing that's helped me so much is really dissecting why I feel certain ways about things. Like one kind of powerful one I had a while ago was that I always kind of hated people who dressed all fancy and had a nice sports car and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't make you happy. And I had, I have this motto, which is experiences over possessions because experiences yeah. are, are worth more. And then I. I also realized I had this feeling about just people who kind of put themselves out there in any flashy way. And I realized I couldn't convince myself that it wasn't because I didn't subconsciously think I was worth fancy things. Uh. And that was a very deep cut. It's like, do you, I I was like, I was just writing. I always go ink to paper with this kind of stuff. Like like whenever I have a strong opinion about something that doesn't really make sense, I like to write about it or I like to analyze it because why you resent is a very interesting feeling that quite often comes from a place of pain, not a positive place, a dark place. And so I was going over this like slight resentment of fancy things. And I asked myself a couple of years ago, is it because you secretly don't think you're worth fancy things? And again, I didn't know the answer. But I thought, let's entertain the idea. And then, oh man, that started to unwind a, a can of worms. You know what I mean? And so yeah. just just seeing why, looking at what you're resentful about, why, like, why do you hate social media influencers exactly? Yeah. You know, I, I was on Reddit today and there was like one what's one thing that you'll always hate? And all of the answers were social media influencers. Thousands of uploads. That was super interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, there's some that are insufferable. Uh, hopefully, I'm not one of those ones. Yeah. But ultimately, it's like, why are you resentful of these people you don't have to pay attention to, right? There's definitely a dark place you're coming from there, and it would be worth investigating a little bit to understand why. You know what I mean? The last question I got is,
0: like, are sometimes people afraid of actually getting what they want, and that's why they don't do things?
1: Mm. It's very easy to find fear of failure, right? That That's, that's much more... Mm. You can put your finger on that much easier, but fear of success isn't one that's not so easily parsed out from these feelings of, for example, procrastination or something, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I would actually love to hear your thoughts on it because I've been thinking about that off and on a lot for the past maybe two years as things have, have picked up for me. And I feel myself, again, a little bit resistance towards doing certain types of work. And I don't think I'm afraid of failing anymore. I've made so much content and spoken so many things, but I wonder... How can you actually find the, um, the tip of that, that uh, ingrown hair, let's say, of a fear of
0: success? Well, I, I think from my side of things, I come from a world of academics right now. I, I had a business for a long time, and I worked in that world, and I, I migrated from that world into a world where I educate now, whether it be people that listen to the media I do or my students, and I could have a PhD in something and get in front of a class of first-year students and sometimes get really nervous about this. Because I think it's the same thing you said about the fancy things. Sometimes we feel altered perception of how perfect people must be to do certain things. And I think it's hard yeah. for people to, to put themselves in that box and say, I'm good enough to be there because these people I admire for so long and I'm now up here. And I think that's got to be challenging. It's got to be challenging for you with a show, you know, that's now made it really big to be up there doing things on a pretty huge scale now. I mean, you know, that's got
1: to be very intimidating. Yeah, it's it's actually it's funny. I find now it doesn't matter uh, as at all for me. I'll pick up a camera and, and speak in front of anybody uh, myself. But the feeling of when you when you're having a a, a vlog and you have to. St- I remember that my first time ever like doing a real travel vlog was forever ago, in Machu Picchu, maybe like twelve years ago. And there's a place called the guard house, which is the main viewpoint for Machu Picchu. And there's always like hundreds of people there. And I was there for a travel competition. So how I started is I was entering these travel competitions, make a video about yourself and we'll send you places. And so I got accepted into the semifinals. And so they sent the semifinalists to different spots in the world to make videos that they were going to then hire someone for. Standing at the guardhouse, my first big trip ever paid for, right? Um, Free, free trip, free camera, free trip. Again, having total identity issues at this point, (laughs) like, oh my, this is not me, but I'm here. And I remember I had to do a video at the guardhouse. And I remember holding the camera in my hand and it's shaking and there'd be hundreds of people around me. And I had to go with, again, enthu- enthusiasm because you're yeah. vlogging. Hey, everybody, here we are at the guardhouse at Machu Picchu. And, oh, dude, I was so scared to do that. Because the second you that everybody looks and then all of the attention's on you and at your list, another one of those guys. And I did it. And it took me like three, four takes. And it was embarrassing as hell. And I never saw those people ever again. And I got a free trip; they all probably paid thousand dollars. And but that was that was shocking for a long time. Hauling the camera out, saying, "Hey, everybody, look at me!" Because I was always the guy who was never like that. Um, but television, it can be a bit easier because you've got like two camera guys, sometimes three camera guys. You got like the sound guy, you got the producer, you got like maybe a guy with a reflector. And so people are much more interested, like, "Oh, it's TV," and so you feel a bit more empowered to to be in that position. When you have to just haul out <laughs> yeah, a selfie stick yeah, <laughs> and just start I, yelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can God. see that. Yeah. How, how I, how I learned to do that better is to automatically engage the audience and make them part of it. So cool. uh, pull it out and be like, all right, I'm at the guardhouse with all of these people and then someone will be like, woo, and some will hate me. But at least it becomes a thing. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. And then obviously most people just think it's interesting. And yeah, the all of this hate is mostly self-imposed, but...
0: Um. Oh, most people admire it, I think. But again, it's super nerve-wracking to be the guy who does that. I could see that. I mean, that's got to be really challenging. How can people find your
1: channel? Yep. You can type in fearless and far, basically everywhere. Um, biggest platforms are definitely YouTube with like 2 million subscribers. We post content there. There's shorts that go up almost every single day and there's long form that goes up every few weeks, every, every month, depending on on the, on the content. And I'm, I'll be finishing Angola this week. So there'll be some really cool Angola videos there. And then also the podcast I host is called Against the Odds. There's myself and a co-host, her name's Cassie, and we tell true survival stories, so humans are are capable of incredible things. And we tell the stories of, uh, you know, Shackleton in, in Antarctica and also like the Thai cave rescue where the people got stuck in, in the caves in Thailand mm-hmm. and the scuba dive them. And the cool thing is we tell the, the story and it's like voice acting and it's also like the sound effects and sound design. And then we interview the people who were there. So for example, the Thai cave rescue, we got to speak to the guy who saved the kids. Cool. And so as a listener, you have this Auditory adventure, and then you get to have an actual interview with the person who who often was there. And uh, the TV show is called Uncharted Adventure, and we just finished our second season at the end of last year. We went to like eleven countries for that, and now we're just figuring out season three, hoping it's going to happen. But yeah, the show has two Emmy nominations. Uh, We're still waiting to hear back about the second one about whether we would win or not because they've been postponed because of the strikes.
0: Right. Yeah, man. Right. Okay, any sneak peeks of what we could expect if the season three happens?
1: Anything uh, that's really got you excited? Uh, We would be probably heading towards Asia-ish, Africa-ish, because we smashed Europe and South America in season two. And I would guess uh, we'd be headed more east, which will be nice. That's awesome.
0: Well, that's great. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy, but I really appreciate the opportunity. And I think everybody listening Got a really good insight into I hope they go deeper down the rabbit hole and look up more of your stuff because it's awesome. Keep it up, yeah. Matt. Please come say hi. And thank you so much, Mike. It was great. What an incredible journey we've been on with Mike Corey. From facing our fears to haunted castles and freediving, I hope Mike's advice leaves you inspired, motivated, and a little more fearless about your everyday life. If you want to check out more of Mike's mind-bending adventures, and trust me, they are unlike anything you've ever seen, head over to his YouTube channel, Fearless and Fire. And prepare to have your mind expanded and your comfort zone possibly challenged. And don't forget, tune into his podcast, Against the Odds, where Mike delves into the harrowing and heroic tales and dissects what it takes to thrive against all odds when they're stacked against you. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, adventure isn't always about the exotic and the extreme. It's a mindset that starts with confronting our fears that hold us back. And as we learned from Mike today, facing those fears could be the first step to unlocking your full potential and leading a more fulfilling life. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.